We are joined today by Spencer Powell, CEO of Builder Funnel, who comes on the show to talk about specialization. Builder Funnel has gone all in on specialization, all the way down to their name. Spencer talks to us through his decision about aligning so tightly to an industry, the benefits he's seen across his agency's flywheel, how he handles prospects who compete against his client base, and the impact specialization has had on team development. Agency Unfiltered begins right now. Spencer, hello there. Welcome uh, to Agency Unfiltered. We're psyched to have you today. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, obviously, a, an unusual season for us, but we're going to try and make this work uh, remotely. But I mean, looking at your setup, and you know, it looks like that won't be a problem at all for you. Yeah, you know, I think we can manage okay, so <laughs> it's all good. Um, psyched to be talking about this topic in particular. I think it's uh, I think it's something that a lot of agencies, a lot of HubSpot partners have to think about, especially in the early days of who they want to be and, and how they want to grow. And, and that's the topic of specialization uh, or aligning yourself to a particular industry or vertical, right? And and obviously Builder Funnel definitely made their decision uh, a while ago, all the way up to uh, the name that you go to market with. And so um, why don't we just start off by explaining, well, who you are, Spencer, but also uh, how did the decision-making process go around specialization and, and why? Yeah, it, I mean, it, it was tough, and I'll kind of get to that in a second. But yeah, I mean, I um, I don't know. I got out of college, and it was kind of during the Great Recession. You know, was bouncing around the internet. It was like, oh, this social media thing. I think I could, you know, help some businesses figure that out. So I, I started my own deal and um, ended up merging with my dad's direct mail business. And he was looking to transform because he was like, hey, direct mail is going to go off a cliff. I got to change you know, go digital. And so we, we kind of teamed up and started trying to figure some things out. And, and as we did, one of our first clients was, you, you always turn to friends and family, right, for those first clients. And uh, it was my uncles were running the family construction business at the time, and spec home building went to zero. Uh, if anybody remembers that, the new housing market just went to nothing. And so they, they got into remodeling, and they used that to kind of support them during that recession. And that was our first client. We just kind of were testing, playing around, and um, started to see some results. And ultimately, took them from about two and a half to ten million over several years. And a lot of it was through digital and through you know all the inbound stuff that we talk about today. But you're kind of having to convince these construction guys back in the day that this was this was a thing. So um, that's a little bit of my background. And then we kind of picked up you know a handful of clients in different industries. And as we kept going along, I just kept sitting there going there's going to be a million inbound marketing companies one day. Like we got to do something to be different. We're just this little, you know, division of some random company in Colorado Springs. Like we got to stand out. And so it was, it took us a few years and then we finally were like, we're just going to commit, you know? So that was actually when we formed the brand builder funnels. It wasn't until maybe three years in. That's great. And so, um, when, when you have to decide an industry, I don't know if you had to weigh other options. It sounds like kind of the, the path, uh, towards like um, uh, remodelers, um, it, it came pretty naturally. But but is there a, a balance between okay, we already have built some success stories here versus uh, like passion or interest? Like, is there a balance that you have to find, and, and were you lucky enough to thread the needle for both? Yeah, it's a good question. It's one I thought about after the fact, you know, because we kind of we did have the family tie-in, so we had like the knowledge of the industry, and then 
just because of the initial results and kind of success story, we picked up a few more clients. So we, we had maybe several industries, but that one we had maybe four or five clients in. And so it, it just kind of felt like, yeah, let's just commit to this one where we have the most experience, the most knowledge and the most case studies around. Looking back on it, would I have picked maybe B2B? You know, maybe, you know, because there's more opportunities with like ABM and, you know, prospect and some of those things like we don't even, we pretty much ignore all that because these guys are going after, you know, end consumers. And so um, I think the one area that really helped us was it is a big ticket considered buying process. So it's still, hey, I'm going to buy or build a custom home for, you know, a million bucks, or I'm going to do a remodel for $200,000. So that person's going to do a lot of research. So content does play a huge role. Um, in terms of the excitement, I think, I think you can find excitement in a lot of places as you dig into the weeds. So I don't know that I would make my decision totally on that. Like maybe if it's really sounds boring or you just like have no connections to it all, like maybe steer clear. But I think if you have success, you have expertise, um, and there's growth opportunity for you as an agency, personally, I would maybe put like how passionate I I am about it lower on the list. Um, Sounds like knowledge and experience (laughs) would surpass. I would say the exciting piece is closing clients and and seeing revenue come in, right? It's regardless. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, when you start delivering results for people, like that's exciting, you know, regardless of the industry. And then, you know, yeah, if you have to write blogs about the same industry, like it would be nice if it wasn't something super boring, but sometimes that's where the opportunity is because no one else wants to do it. So (laughs) that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously let's file you under uh, pro specialization, right? And so here's your chance to sell the non-believers on the vision. What would you say, and there's probably a handful, but what are the, what are the primary um, benefits of specialization? Like what's been the most impactful change for your business as soon as you, or once you align to, to um, your industry? Sure. Um, everything got easier. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> no. Done. Yeah, uh, done. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a wrap, folks. Uh, you know, it was a really hard decision. I remember that moment just going, I mean, I've been going to inbound and I've been going to the conferences and there were a few people that were very pro specialization and we had kind of been toying around with it. Like we had that client base, we were still saying yes to other industries. And finally, one day I said, you know, like we're, we haven't committed, like we just got to do this. I know it's the right thing. And it was so hard to just say, okay, we're going to create a brand around it. We're going to say no to everything else. But as soon as we did it, it was so freeing because suddenly all of our content creation was way easier, right? Now I'm writing a, a blog. I'm not trying to figure out like which industry am I writing for? Like, who am I trying to like, I know exactly who I'm writing to. I'm writing to a remodeling business owner that does between 2 million and 8 million in annual sales. And they're struggling to get leads off, off the internet and their own website, you know? So now I have this person in my mind, like everything gets easier. Um, I know what conferences to go to. I know where to network. Like I don't have to decide between a million different things. I go, Oh, these are the top five conferences. Great. Let's start showing up at those. Let's start networking. So I think just from like a positioning and marketing perspective, the world is so big and we think, picking one industry is going to be limiting, but usually most industries are massive. And there's, um, I don't know, I hear it all the time on sales calls. They're like, you know, I was talking to a local company and you guys, and I love how you guys focus on the industry. I literally hear that exact phrase on 25 to 30% of my sales calls. Um, And so I know 
it, yeah, it just it got easier. And then I think you pick up a lot of efficiencies on the delivery side too. So um, campaigns that worked. We just recently, a couple of years ago, figured out how much does kitchen remodeling cost in location. That was top performing content. Great, roll it out for our 50 clients across the country. Um, and now they're all seeing yeah, success with that case. campaign. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and like you're writing unique content, but you're saying, oh, this theme, this topic of cost in a location works. So let's adjust it and rewrite it for that location and for those numbers that make sense for that area. And people are, you know, people are succeeding. So I like that idea of taking campaigns and templating um, downloads. You can rebrand downloads. You know, obviously you can't clone blogs and stuff like that, but you just get a lot of efficiency across the board with those types of things too. So. I guess those would be my like top few, you know, plugs for for go special. Well, you know, you know, HubSpot's all about the flywheel. So if I think about sales, marketing, and service, well, you're like, okay, well, sales that acts as actually a point of differentiation in the sales process. People call out your specialization. Sounds like marketing. Your strategies get more focused. Uh, they're they're more efficiently uh, produced or created. Um, and it sounds like again, once you find something that works, it's roll outable if that's a word, but replicable yeah, for yeah. other clients as well. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah, it sounds for sure. like yeah, cross the flywheel. That's great. Um, so yeah, I would say just you know think about it. Just put some serious thought to it if you haven't committed to a, to an industry, and, uh, and there's a lot of pros. In regards to the client experience element, obviously they now they they select you because they view you as the experts in the in the industry. Do you ever find that that comes with higher expectations from the client side? And if so, how do you how do you kind of like balance that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think there is an elevated, um, I don't know, I guess expectation from the client, but I think you're able to deliver on it easier than you'd think just because you get so many reps. And and just from the fact that like your strategist is talking to the, the business owner and they're speaking their language because they're in it all the time too, it just sounds so different from the random local agency that they were thinking about working with as well. Um, and then when you come right out of the gates and you say, hey, because this worked for this client, this client, and this client, we want to start you with this campaign. They're going, awesome. And then, you know, as you start to, to move forward, um, they start to see those results. So I think you can you can lean on all those other clients and kind of the, the industry experience and um, and they, they start to just actually feel it. Um, obviously, you know, we're not going to retain 100%. Um, that just doesn't happen. But I feel like we've been able to keep clients longer and, uh, and churn less definitely since we changed over to, to specializing. That's great. Um, I would find that for a lot of the, the smaller agencies or folks that are um, still kind of like scraping a little bit, still trying to figure it out, still trying to grow, like they're going to be hard pressed to say no to business, uh, even if it doesn't fit into the specialization they've circled, when did you guys start feeling comfortable to do that? Or do you, you know, how, do, do you guys turn away business that doesn't fit into that core persona? Um, any words of wisdom for, for folks that just don't feel comfortable saying no yet? Yeah. Um, that, that was a tough moment. I, I'm trying to think back, you know, it was probably a few years in, I don't know, we were doing a few hundred thousand probably in, in revenue or something annually. Um, had a couple of people on the team and yeah, when you have to go, Hmm, that's not in our wheelhouse and say, no, like that's tough. Um, however, all that, that time that you would waste spinning your wheels and trying to relearn a whole new industry and 
figure out new systems, like that is productive energy that can be used towards prospecting, towards landing that next deal. And so um, I would say it's, it's worth the trade-off. And I think it's just, it's tough in that moment, but then if you just keep pushing forward, it quickly comes back to you uh, with another opportunity that's the right opportunity. Um, and to your second part of your question, yeah, today, I mean, we don't, we don't accept any work that's outside the industry. I mean, it would have to be a really unique um, situation and you know people have asked they're like hey I know you kind of only work with these guys but would you do this and most of the time I entertain the discussion that you know I just don't think we would do a good job and part of it is I look at it and I go this is exciting or this looks fun but man we're gonna have to put in a lot of time up front to relearn everything I'm like if I just go land another client within the industry like we already know what we're doing and so it actually I want to turn it down because it just sounds like a lot more work um, where we actually end up turning down work too is with uh, competition just within our client base. And so we, we won't work with two competing remodelers in Atlanta or two custom builders in Seattle. Um, and so those are the two areas we actually end up turning quite a bit of work away. Do you find like how frequently or how often does the, the competitor situation come up? Does it, does it come up frequently or, or is it like a rare case when it happens? Um, it's becoming a little more common the last two years. The the first, you know, six, seven, eight years, it pretty much was a non-issue. Um, but yeah, as we've gotten a little bit more brand equity and we've grown, um, it comes up. I think we've probably turned down probably two or three hundred grand worth of work this year, um, which is significant, you know, for a company like us. Um, but it just solidifies with those other clients because every time, like I have a client in Atlanta, so it's a bigger metro market and we've had a few competitors come up and so i email them i say hey these guys reached out they want to work with us are they a competitor if i look and they're like 15 minutes away they're both remodelers like i pretty much know but i always reach out and then he's like yeah they are you know so i tell him well great i'll tell them that we have a conflict and i'll turn them away and then he's like awesome right like i i'm working with these guys that are committed um and uh I don't know. I feel like that brand equity is, is worth a lot too. And, and it just doesn't feel like the right thing to do to be competing SEO wise with two companies that are, you know, 15 minutes apart and going after the same clients. Yeah. There's only, only so many views or clicks or shares. There's only so many pieces of that pie. And so if you start competing against yourself, you know, that that's difficult, but it sounds like actually looping in your existing clients, letting them know who reached out and asking for their input on whether it's a competitor. Yeah. That must build a, a ton of trust with your existing clients. Um, and it sounds like you do the the secondary research just in case, because uh, I'd be hard pressed to say, you know, any design build remodeler in the, the the state is a competitor of mine. But it sounds like you you validate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we definitely validate. And we're starting to hit a point where we need to figure out like territories or exclusivity. And like it's been pretty loose to this point. So we just honor it for all of our existing clients. And then moving forward, we'll probably have to start breaking some areas down that are pretty populated. But uh, I would say generally, like it hasn't been a monster issue. It, it comes up, but uh, it seems worth it. But it's safe to be proactive about establishing some ground rules there. Yeah. Right. Um, going back really quickly to the types of businesses you say yes to, say no to. Obviously, we're talking about design build remodeling companies, right? Or, or design build remodelers. But what about, um, are there ever like fringe cases? You know, I'm thinking about someone that may do like HVAC installation and service or something as it relates to remodeling a home like where do you draw the line between that gray area of technically it's not the bread and butter but it's still relevant to the industry you know what i mean 
Yep, yeah, it's a good question. And so we, we kind of went into it with like builders and remodelers was kind of our initial target. And then kind of said, well, it's kind of residential remodeling also includes some specialty trades. Like you said, HVAC or like a roofer, fencer, or some of these, you know, specialty trades. And uh, so we will work with anybody kind of under that umbrella. Um, but I will say it feels like we maybe are going to go a little more narrow because even within those subsectors, like the guys that are in roofing, like they just need high lead volume, people that are like need it now, they need a roof replacement. And so it's different than like trying to educate people on all the different kinds of roofs and like it's a different sales process. It's not that than, considered buying, like buying process, right? It's not as sizable. It. Yeah, it's more emergency yeah. off the cuff. Yeah. So we're seeing like design build remodeling. We're like custom building is a very similar process. You're just going from the ground up, but it's uh, it's still that kind of design build. Um, and then we just we had some experience with more like I would say your community builders where they have a couple models and they're operating out of several communities. Um, so we do have some clients in that space, but more and more like the percentage of our client base pie is design builder modelers and custom builders. And and I think just. The deeper you go, then you kind of keep marketing to those people. You keep going to those events, and they are even different from the like roofing fencing events. And so, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that just becomes like 80-90% of our work one day is just kind of continuing to just specialize and figure out like what works, how can I get to the fastest path of success for this client, um, and that just gets more and more exciting, I think. That's great. Um, let's talk quickly about uh, people. Um, so I'll let you in a sec confirm how big the, the team is. But when I'm thinking about sourcing, hiring, growing, investing in a team, how much of it comes down to expertise as it relates to speaking the language of, of remodelers? Uh, and, and is that something you look for in the sourcing phase? Or is that something you go ahead and teach uh, inbound marketers or sales folks? Um, how do you balance marketing skill versus industry knowledge and expertise? Yeah, good question, Kevin. Um, we have taken the like train up approach. And so uh, it's a bonus if somebody has like prior knowledge of the industry. Um, and we've just created a lot of like internal training videos and, um, you know, walking th people through like, hey, these are custom builders, these are design builder models, like here's their process. Here's the language they use, like common terms, common industry tools, things that they use. Um, and so we kind of, I mean, we just are generally a core values first and then marketing skills next and then industry like knowledge would come after that. Um, and so depending on the position we're hiring for, we may want to see more in the marketing arena or less um, and just figuring we'll kind of train the rest of it. Um, I think it would be tough for us to find people that like already have that knowledge. I think that would limit our hiring pool pretty significantly. Yeah, that's so, agreed. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. Yeah. So sounds like soft skill uh, in alignment to core values is priority. Uh, home builder, custom building knowledge uh, is part of your, your onboarding or, or training program. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Um, quickly moving over. Uh, I think this might be my last question or two for you, but moving over to the marketing activities for builder funnel. Obviously, we've talked plenty about the the audience that you look to serve, the persona, the ideal fit. Uh, I know that you guys have a podcast. So, how did you align? Did did the did the persona and audience come first, and then you knew that oh, I think a, a podcast would reach them, uh, or was that a strategy you piloted first and it ended up being a fit for your audience? Um, I guess may, maybe a better way to ask that question is how do you find communication channel and marketing asset fit, 
uh, when you have a very specialized uh, or verticalized business? Yeah, good question. I think um, we could have put more thought into it than we did. <laughs> now that you asked the question, hindsight, man, um, is always what twenty twenty. Yeah, it's yeah. always twenty twenty. Yeah. yeah. So um, honestly, the way we were just we've always been blogging, and we struggled really to get into the video piece. Like we just, I don't know, we couldn't ever wrap our head around like getting it done on a consistent basis. Like who's going to record all this? And it was like, well, maybe a podcast. And we we're you know, podcasting was kind of on the rise and still is for sure. But um, I was thinking about it. I'm like, a lot of our guys are driving around between job sites. So they're like, oh, maybe like audio is a better way for them to consume information than just reading blogs like at night or trying to figure out their marketing. Like, and so it was a hypothesis, I guess. And we just jumped into it and just said, hey, we're going to commit to podcasting for a year before we decide if it's worth it or not, or we can tell if it's working. And um, and once we started to do it, we saw the numbers going up and people were, you know, mentioning it on sales calls. Um, and it took some time, I would say probably six to nine months before we kind of feel, felt like, okay, like I'm feeling the impact of this. Don't know if it's a total, like, uh, you know, we've gotten our, our ROI on it yet, but at least we knew we were closing deals tied back to it. And then, um, then we just kept pushing it and pushing it and we kept hearing it more and more. So we've tripled down on the channel. We actually do three weekly shows all through the same feed. Um, just varying formats and hosts and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I guess we probably should have put a little more thought into it, but it, it worked Sounds out. Sounds like it's working out all right. So just <laughs> yeah. to, to confirm, let's just say uh, I'm, a, I'm a HubSpot partner or an agency. I'm thinking about starting a podcast. Tomorrow's going to be day one. Sounds like I should let my, my experiment run, what, six or nine months before really looking at the measurables to see if it's working or not? Yeah, and I mean, I know the space has gotten more competitive today, so you might even give yourself a year. Um, however... If you specialize, like then suddenly the podcasting path is a little more open because there's probably less podcasts in your space, especially that are marketing focused or marketing and sales focused. And so uh, I think that's why we've been able to grow it the way we have is if we were just general marketing podcasts, like that's a noisy space. Uh, we're competing with, you know, podcasts like yours where you guys have, you know, large audience and, um, it, I think it would have been really tough. I think we would have actually bailed on it. We would have stopped because we just wouldn't have seen the traction. Um, and the other benefit is we do record it and you get the video out of it. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. Sure. Yeah. It's all about repurposing content. Uh, you mentioned that uh, you're starting to hear your, the podcast come up in sales conversations. I think the, the uh, calculating the ROI of a podcast is like the golden egg of podcasting. Is there any other measurables or anything else you're looking at? Or do you find that? I mean, that's the best way to, to gauge uh, performance or success sales calls uh, and referencing it or prospective folks uh, referencing the podcast. It's really tough. Yeah. I mean, as you know, I don't like, even know if this is a question for my listeners or me personally. <laughs> yeah. 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 We'll just riff on this one for a while. It's, it's really tough. Um, that was the indicator that kind of told me, okay, this is working in a dollar's way. You know, I'm actually connecting the dots to business. Um, but there's lots of other things that you can kind of feel. And, and this was an area where like, I've always been a diehard, like numbers marketing person. And I was like, brand, eh, I don't know if I believe in brand. It's just kind of this, you know, pie in the sky, like, you know, something out there. But for the last several years, I've really come around to, to the power of brand and the impact of brand. And, and I think you can start to feel some of those brand things with a podcast. So I do hear it on sales calls, but then all the social content that you can clip up 
a 45 minute interview into like seven social clips. And now you've got all that that goes out on Instagram and LinkedIn, etc. Um, you can put the full one on YouTube, like just like you said, repurposing content. And then some of the times you hear people mention the podcast directly on a sales call, but some of the times they just go, I've been seeing your face everywhere. You know? That's equally <laughs> or, as good, right? Yeah. yeah and you're yeah. like, okay, perfect. Like, and the podcast is producing that content for us that they're seeing everywhere. And so um, for us, those are the things that we're kind of evaluating is, are we hearing it in those micro moments? Um, are we seeing the stats go up in terms of just like downloads, listens, plays, and the, that sort of thing? Um, but yeah, I mean, it only took a few of people like, yeah, I've been listening to your podcast for six months and figured I'd reach out and you're going, okay. And then the sales process is super easy because you've literally been in their ear for 45 minutes every dream. week. Yeah, like they dream. know you, they, you know, so yeah, I, it took a little while, but those are the things that we kind of look at now. That's great. Not it's super helpful. Uh, Spencer, last question for you. Uh, we tend to wrap every episode with this question. So it's a little bit of a curveball. Interested to get your thoughts. Uh, what is the uh, weirdest part of agency life? Weirdest part of agency life. Um, okay. For me, again, being a numbers person, um, we're, it, being an agency owner, we're in this business where we're selling something where the client wants a desired result or outcome. And I can sell the same thing to client A and client B and client A does awesome and client B flops. That is really weird and really tough to, to grapple with. Whereas sometimes like, man, if we are just making widgets, like we just make a widget and you make another widget and they both work the same. Um, but Man, that one's tough, you know. So I don't know if that quite like fit into your. Nah, your that, that is there, a but. strange aspect. You're like they can be absolutely the same thing for client A and client B, but yield completely opposite results. Yeah, that's totally right. Because yeah. you got you know varying power of websites, different market areas, you know, all kinds of other factors, different sales skills on their end. Like you just you have you don't have control over a lot of stuff. Um, so yeah, that's my answer. You know what? I think that's a great answer. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, man, I think that's all I have for you. Again, I appreciate you dialing in all the way from Colorado Springs. Um, but I think we're, we're pretty much wrapped. So this has been uh, another episode of Agency Unfiltered.